Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. I'm your host, Bill DeFilippo, joined by my co-host, Nick Pollock. Nick, how you doing? Good. You know, just another Sunday of being disappointed by the Seahawks, but still reeling off the high from Penn State, so we're okay. Yes, it is uh, currently halftime of the Seahawks game, correct? And what is the score? The score is 9-7 to seven, Tennessee. That sounds like a game that you don't want to watch, so... Let's, Go Hawks. Uh, yeah, so we're actually going to do this week a little bit different. Uh, we're going to start with everything that happened in the Big Ten other than the Penn State game and then get into the Penn State game. So, Nick, Michigan beat Purdue 28-10. to Ohio State beat UNLV 54-21. to UCF beat Maryland 38-10. to Nebraska beat Rutgers 27-17. to Indiana beat Georgia Southern 52-17. to And Notre Dame beat Michigan State 38-18. to Do you want to talk about any of those games? I can give one sentence for each game. Would you rather just not talk about them? Can I say one sentence each for two of the games? Yeah, sure. Okay. Michigan-Purdue being the first one. Okay. My one sentence is Purdue is still good, but Michigan's defense is very good. I I would agree with that. And for UCF-Maryland, my sentence is the illusion is dead. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I think Maryland is like down to seventeenth stringers at every single position. Like, yeah, Cassim Hill got hurt. They couldn't run the ball. UCF is fun. Their coach is about to come to the Big Ten. Whatever. So yeah, um, let's see. I have nothing to say about any of these. Nebraska sucks. Uh, yeah, I think we're done. Let's talk about the only game that anyone cares about: Penn State twenty-one, Iowa nineteen. It was. Um, it was a weird, weird game. Uh, Penn State, I I think you would be very hard-pressed to find a single person who thought, who thought Penn State didn't dominate that game. 579 yards of total offense to 273, 29 first downs to 11. They had the ball for nearly 40 minutes. Iowa had it for just over 20. Uh, yeah, it was... If this game isn't played in Kinnick Stadium, I think it is probably a comprehensive beatdown of Iowa. But it took a walk-off. Penn State literally needed to score a touchdown on the final play of the game, and it managed to do that. And now we have the unenviable task of trying to talk about this when this was just such a weird but really entertaining and fun and nerve-wracking game. Nick, uh, let's start. Question we start with every week. What did we learn from Penn State's win over Iowa? We learned that this, it doesn't really matter who they're playing, that this offense can pretty much do whatever they want against anyone to a degree. They clearly had a lot of issues in the red zone against Iowa, Part of that is because Iowa does have a very good defense. I know the numbers weren't incredible for them before this game, but it was early in the season. I think it's pretty safe to say the Hawkeyes are pretty awesome on defense. Um, What was his name? uh, Anthony Nelson, I believe is the name of the defense. Yeah, that that like 6'6 rangey defensive end. Yeah. AJ Epinesa, like the the defensive line. AJ Epinesa is going to be a problem. This was his third or fourth career game. Like, and I don't think there was other than Josie Jewell and 
uh, Anthony Nelson. I don't think there was a player on Iowa who, who, who was just terrifying me more all game than Epinesa. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Uh, but yeah, their defensive line was incredible. Their linebackers cleaned up in the middle. So despite the fact that Penn State put up 500 yards of offense, it was was really impressive that they were able to hold them out of the end zone. However, like you said, I don't. If this game isn't in Kinnick, I'm not sure that Penn State has as much trouble scoring in the red zone as they did. That's something that we'll find more out find out more about in the coming weeks as we play Indiana and Northwestern and Michigan Ohio State we'll find out if that's more of a trend it seemed like they kind of it, it in my opinion their best thing they can do in the red zone is run the RPO with Saquon with Gesicki um, having the option of being a blocker if Saquon does get the ball or splitting out to get an open space and they didn't really seem to do that so i Hopefully they'll go back to that next week. But I don't I, I think the two major things that I learned is that this Penn State offense is very good. Uh, shall I say three things? Iowa is very much a contender in the Big Ten West. Yep. And that the Penn State defense I know Iowa's offense won't set the world on fire against most people, but Stanley played reasonably well. He almost threw for two hundred, had two touchdowns. Akram Wadley, we know how good Akram Wadley is, and Penn State's defense just, aside from one play where it looked like there was confusion on who was supposed to be lining up where, and Troy Apke just took a really bad angle and let Wadley get loose. If you take out his 35-yard touchdown run, Iowa averaged 2.16 yards per carry on 22 rushes. You don't do that to Iowa. Average defenses don't do that to Iowa. So I think we can comfortably say... This Penn State defense is really, really good. Yeah, and uh, I, I do want to point out that, and this is something I we might talk about in a little bit, just in case we don't. Coming into this game, uh, based on Bill Connolly's advanced statistics, Penn State was eighth in the nation in finishing drives, which is uh, Connolly's metric, which measures how many points per trip inside of the 40-yard line. Uh I'm interested to see what ends up happening with that. Um, just because, yeah, Penn State inside the 40 really, really seemed like it had an issue getting those last couple of yards, getting that final push or uh, having that guy get open. I think I was defensive game plan all night was basically we will let Penn State make the short passes, the short runs, uh, quote-unquote short runs. Like, they were giving Penn State the space to do stuff, but Iowa's game plan was to keep it all in front of them. It's why Trace McSorley, 31 for 48, when McSorley has a game like that, you're expecting he's throwing for 350 yards or something like that. He threw for 284, a touchdown and an interception. It's why Saquon Barkley, they were able to get the ball into his hands so much, I thought, because it was, you know, Iowa was letting him get it, and then they had enough faith in their defense rightly so in most uh, in most scenarios, that everyone was going to swarm and everyone was going to get to him. I mean, Josie Jewell had 16 tackles. Uh, Amani Hooker had 13 tackles. These They were, their pursuit to the ball was really good. And yeah, Penn State was picking up a couple of yards, but they were never able to get those last few. But 
I don't think that's just an Iowa thing. I think that's right. That, what like, we're going to see is, most teams do is, against it. It's yeah. what we were talked about. The whole pick your poison thing. It's either, I mean, we I we wrote a post about. It. We talked about last year. Penn State terrorized teams on deep passes. This year, they're really not throwing any deep passes yeah. because teams are just handing them the middle of the field. And when you yeah. have Saquon Barkley, if you can get him in space, why not? Yeah, and. This is yeah. This is the blueprint to potentially beat Penn State. Hope that they're not able to connect on those big passes down the field, and hope your offense can make a few plays. But my big takeaway, the thing that I learned, there, there's a saying in gambling that uh, you know, good teams win, great teams cover. Penn State very much did not cover uh, the line on this was like twelve or thirteen or something like that, but. I think this game, it proved to me that we are dealing with a great football team. Because this was the first time this year that Penn State went on the road against anyone. It got punched in the mouth. It really, really sure. I mean, the offense had three points in the first half. Penn State had five points total because there was just this god-awful play call that, like, I don't even, like, I can't even understand why I would decide to run a toss sweep in their end zone, but neither here nor there. Uh, <laughs> and not block, Sharif. Miller. And not block, yeah. Penn State turned the ball over a few times. Iowa got a few lucky breaks. The officiating was bad both ways. Kinnick from opening kick to the moment that Juwan Johnson reeled that pass in at the end was on fire all game. Like, this was a game, this is the blueprint for how Iowa beats top five teams. Penn State kind of fell into that a little bit. I mean, Penn State was able to move the ball, like we mentioned. But Penn State was still able to win this game. And it took some heroics, absolutely. But, yeah. I mean, I don't think a not great team wins this football game. And I think this is the kind of game, I saw a lot of people compare it to the Minnesota game last year where Penn State was just, you know, didn't look good, didn't look good, didn't look good. Game ends, oh my God, Penn State was able to get a win. And that gave some momentum going forward. I think Penn State came into this game with some momentum and just kind of took the, you know, pumped the brakes on the Penn State hype train a bit. But at the same time, I think this is the kind of game that Penn State can now look back on and go, yeah, we played well in terms of most things, but in terms of putting points on the board, it took something kind of special at the end of the game for us to win. If we could yeah. start scoring, the, the sky's the limit for us. Yeah, and I, I don't think that's anything new. I think they already know that, and I think a good majority of what they talk about after they after they get done their talk, the coaches get done praising them for resiliency and <clears throat> what they're able to do on that last drive. I think the major talking point is going to be, especially from Joe Moorhead, is going to be we're better than what we we're better than what we were on Saturday night. We very easily could have scored forty plus points in this game the way we were moving the ball. I think that's going to be the main message. So I don't think that knowledge is anything new for them. But I think the fact that they were able to fight back in a game, that they were really, really challenged in a really, really tough environment. Um, Kinnick's one of those places that you don't really, when you're listing off the toughest places to play at night, you 
it's the kind of place that once somebody says it, you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, Kinnick, that's tough. But if you're, like, putting together a list from the beginning, the obvious ones you think of first are Penn State, Ohio State, uh, LSU, Clemson, like, all those. But Kinnick is tough to play in. Yeah. So yeah. while I think there's – well, I think they definitely will have a lot of we could have had this game in hand easily, there will also be a good deal of – you guys were just able to go into one of the tougher Big Ten night game environments and pull out a win, and that's huge. Yeah, you, you were able to do this despite the offense not really clicking. I mean, I think, and someone can ask James Franklin this later in the week, but I think though the two field goals that he kicked within the five-yard line uh, were basically a direct result to the, it, they happened because Iowa's red zone defense was just really great last night. They were being physical. They were winning at the point of attack. They were getting into the backfield. Iowa kept doing this thing where they were basically putting Juwan Johnson one-on-one, uh, Deshaun Hamilton, DeAndre Tompkins, whoever the receiver was, one-on-one with the corner, and everyone else is packing into the box and bringing pressure and saying, listen, you are not going to be able to run this ball against us you're not going to be able to run it into the end zone. And if you decide you want to pass it, we're going to get to you before McSorley gets that ball out. We're going to knock a pa- either knock the pass down, knock him down, or something like that. Because McSorley, we'll, we'll talk about his game in a bit, but he, he did have some issues getting the ball up over the, that Iowa defensive line. Uh, before we start getting into some of that more negative stuff, let's talk about, and we're going to put a bit of a spin on this, because we're going to talk about Saquon Barkley and fawn over him at the end of this episode. Uh, so you could fast forward to that if you want. But I want to talk about your biggest positive takeaway that doesn't involve Saquon Barkley, Nick. It has to be the defense, probably the run defense specifically, because yeah. we were a little worried about the run defense going into this game because uh, Quadri Olison was able to get some things going for Pitt. Um I don't remember the kid's name from Georgia State, but he was able to get some things going on the ground too. And the just the middle, it seemed like they were just allowing guys to slip straight through the middle of the field and pick up big yardage, and that just was not the case yeah, at and, all. And if I, if I may, just for one second, like if there was a team that was that was probably going to try and replicate what Pitt did when it came to running the ball between the tackles, it was going to be Iowa. Iowa was going, like, they have the personnel up front to try and bulldoze your, uh, you know, your front seven, get the ball to your running back, let him, at worst, fall forward for three, four, five yards. Wadwee wasn't even getting that. Penn State was just winning at the point of attack in a way that, like, it just hasn't, that this hasn't happened in a while. Not because the defenses in the past have been bad, but because this was just an outstanding performance. Yeah, it's we've Penn State's had some really great pass rushers in recent years. It's Carl Nassib, Anthony Zettel. It's it's not like they haven't had guys that get to the quarterback and get to the running back in the backfield. But this this is everyone. Everyone's getting in there. Sharif Miller's getting in there. Buckles, Givens, Cothran and Cothran. Everybody is getting in the backfield. Yeah. And uh, some of it, admittedly, is probably thanks to the fact that 
they knew that Iowa wasn't a team that was necessarily going to try to beat them through the air. That's not their game. Stanley did only throw 22 passes, which is not an insignificant amount, but it's not a ton. So they probably, and I know they showed one graphic at one point that um, once Wadley took a handoff, Kabinda and Bowen both didn't even hesitate. They both just speared straight toward him, where if that had been a play action, they probably would have had something open in the middle. So they definitely did take advantage to a degree, knowing that Iowa was going to run the ball, but it doesn't matter whether you run it. I mean, Sharif Miller was unblockable in every yeah, sense of yeah, the Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, so, yeah. Yeah, my my big takeaway is just I this was I'm I don't I'm not ready to fully say that Penn State's defense is like a like an elite level defense in the country. I I feel like I just need to see them against I mean these next, if they're if they play as well as they did against Iowa against Northwestern and Indiana, which are both teams that will challenge you in different ways than Iowa did, then I'll be fully ready to say that. But this was a massive step towards yeah, proving that I they agree. are one of the best in the country. I, I completely agree. And I so to me, there are three game balls that need to go out. Uh, the first one's to Barkley, duh. The second one is Sharif Miller. I thought that I, I think we all thought that once Torrance Brown went down, we all we're all big Torrance Brown fans. We think the way that he plays, his speed, his athleticism off the edge are really tough. But what we saw out of Miller is someone who can mix the speed and athleticism and ability to get after a quarterback that you expect out of a really good pass rusher with the physicality and the power and the awareness of someone who is able to blow up a running game. That was out of him, considering this was his first career start filling in for an established guy who it was his job. It was always going to be his job. It's on the road against an offense that wants to bully you up front. I thought he was spectacular. That was like, this was a game that makes me think that he could end up being a star. He, I mean, physically six, five, two fifty seven. He is a load on the edge. He is he is what you want a defensive end to look like. And then we saw against Iowa, he put forth an effort that he's getting into the backfield. Okay, he used to start worrying about him a little bit more. The Cawthorns in the middle, they're guys that if you're trying to go one-on-one against either of them, you're doomed. Same with a guy like Kevin Gibbons. That then frees up Ryan Buckles or whoever is at the other defensive end position. The one thing that I didn't think Penn State's line had for how much depth it has this year is that one guy who can attract so much attention that it makes everything easier for everybody else, you know? And yeah, I think, I think that Miller is now at a point where he could end up being that guy. We'll see against Indiana. Uh, we'll see against Northwestern. And then we'll very much see against Michigan. But if he can continue this run of form, that is something that Penn State's defense, I think, really needed this year, and it it could have. And then the final game ball, I, it has to go to Blake Gilligan. He had, he was just out of his mind. Like he had four punts, but when he was punting the football, it was a mix of him doing what he did, and Penn State's coverage team getting down there and doing what they do, just pinning Iowa within its ten, within its twenty. Uh, on the drive that ended 
in the safety, it got downed on the three-yard line. He had, like, his ability to put the ball basically wherever he wants is something that Penn State hasn't had in a punter in a while. And in a game like this against a team like Iowa, where field position is something so important, we saw it, we have proof that it led to two points. It might have led to other points. I mean, for the first half, Penn State was living, like, the entire game took place in one half of the field because of how Penn State's offense was moving the ball and how Gilligan was downing Iowa and the defense was coming on. It was, it was just a comprehensive game when it came to pinning Iowa back, and that starts and ends with Gilligan, who he, he might be the best punter in the Big Ten. I'm not 100% sure. I, I, I haven't watched every punter, uh, surprisingly, but this... Why not? I, I don't know. I, I, okay, sometimes I go to the bathroom during puns. What do you, what do, you do on Sundays? <laughs> yes, I go back and watch tape. But, yeah, Blake Gilligan, he gets a game ball. Uh, Sharif Miller, he gets a game ball. Those were the two big things that stuck out. And I, I, I do like what you said about the next few games. Indiana's going to challenge them in a different way. They're going to put the ball in the air. Uh, they're going to try and do some funky stuff on offense. Uh, it's going to... Be reliant on a guy like Miller getting uh, to Richard Legal or getting to uh, the quarterback whose name currently slips me, and I'm going to ramble for another five seconds Peyton until Ramsey. I find out. Peyton Ramsey, yeah. Just getting to those dudes so they can't get the ball out to those very good receivers that Indiana has. And then Northwestern with all the very funky stuff Northwestern tries to do to move the ball uh, and getting the ball into Justin Jackson's hands. Other side of the coin. Uh, before we start talking about the really fun stuff, if you had to put to put the biggest negative takeaway or the biggest thing that concerned you uh, from this game going forward, what would that be? I think it would have to be the red zone offense. I know we already talked about it, but for how easily the team was able to move the ball down the field, you would have hoped that they would have been able to punch it in a little easier, especially when you have Saquon Barkley. The offensive line did a much better job of opening up holes in the run game this week than previous weeks, and Barkley was actually able to go through the line of scrimmage a bunch of times as opposed to having to bounce around it. So they they improved in that regard, but they did get bullied a lot in the red zone, especially by Nelson and Epinesa. So I think I think it's just the whole red zone operation was a little disappointing. But... And I mean, I I would say Troy Apke because of the terrible the it was truly a terrible angle that he took on Akram Wadley's touchdown run. But he played really well for most of the rest of the game. He had a really big uh, pass breakup on the one of the two point conversion tries. He he really did have a really nice night aside from that one play. So I I there's really not anything else that stands out as a glaring weakness. Will Fries looked pretty good replacing Andrew Nelson on the right side that I would guess that we'll probably see that moving forward. So I, yeah, those are the only other negatives I can really think of. Yeah. I, I'm, I don't, I think those are the main negatives. If I had to pick them, uh, two smaller things. One, uh, I'm a little concerned just at how Tyler Davis has looked this year. He's, uh, ah, true. Forgot but, that. Yeah. I mean, when it's come to, and he's had two kicks blocked, uh, miss to I don't know what it is I mean kickers are you know kickers are the kind of guys who 
or they're the one position that, you know, one bad thing kind of lingers with them. I think he figures it out as the season goes along just because coming into this year, he'd missed two field goals. And I think they were both blocks. I'm not 100% sure. Uh, but yeah. Um, I, I, one was definitely a block. Yeah, Ohio State blocked, blocked yes. one. And then I don't recall what his other block is. I'm pulling up his game log for last season. I know that you're all listening to this so we can go through the game log of Penn State's kicker from 2016. Uh, but this is something very important to Nick and I. Uh, he missed one against Iowa. I don't remember if that was a block or not, but whatever. I'll go back and look at that. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. And then the second thing, I I am a little worried. Worried isn't the right word, but there were times where I thought uh, McSorley didn't look fantastic. Uh, I think this is one of those games where I think Iowa had a really good game plan for making him uncomfortable. They wanted to keep him in the pocket. They didn't want him to move around and break away and do stuff. I and mean, we saw on the uh on the final drive where Penn State gets a first down, the line spreads out a little bit. Uh I was not able to really contain him and he breaks off a twelve yard run. He didn't really have too terribly many like just you know, games breaking down, I'm going to take off and I'm going to go for it once runs. But that was because I thought, I mean, McSorley's at his most dangerous with his legs on passing plays, I think. And Iowa knew that and they managed to contain that and it kept him in the pocket and it turned him into a guy who was trying to throw from the pocket, which is not his game, especially against a long and rangy defensive line like uh, Iowa has. I think he'll be all right. I mean, the thing to remember with him is that he's been pretty solid uh, for most of this year. I mean, he's had a couple of bad stretches. I mean, he wasn't great against Pittsburgh. I mean, he was pretty pretty solid against Akron and Georgia State. Whatever, it's all okay. Uh, but yeah, this was a th- this was a decent performance from him that could have been a lot better. It happens. Uh, yeah, overthrew a few balls, threw up his back foot a couple times, including the game-winning touchdown. But uh, I, I'm, it, it was not great, but it was fine. Yeah. So let's, for one second, before we get to Saquon, I'm going to keep teasing this to hope people keep listening. Do you think Penn State needed a game like this, Nick? Um, I don't know that any team needs to induce heart attacks. I don't know if that's a <laughs> I don't know if a doctor would recommend that, but I I mean it's it's not a bad thing to face adversity. It's not a bad thing to play good teams in close games. I I I don't think anybody really like yeah, when we look back on it when guys look are asked about it later, they'll be like, Yeah, that Iowa game really really strengthened our resolve and really proved to ourselves that we can win in any situation. That's great. But I don't think any team necessarily needs to have that happen. I think you can face adversity in other slightly less terrifying ways. But, I mean, there's no doubt that they will learn some good lessons from this. They'll they'll recognize that this kind of shines some light on, okay, we're not playing against cupcakes anymore. Yes, Pitt, you are a cupcake this year. Yeah, I was going um, to say, uh, when we say cupcakes, we're very much including the University of Pittsburgh in that. Yeah. You weren't a cupcake last year, but you are very much a cupcake this year. I'm sorry if you have to hear that. Yeah. But 
I think this, it, I mean, you could see it as a little bit of a wake-up call, being like, hey, we're not just going to have our way on every play anymore, even though they kind of did, except when they are in the red zone. So in that way, it's a good thing that it happened. But again, I'm not sure that exact situation is necessarily ideal. But it probably gives them a lot of confidence moving yeah. forward. So that's fine. For sure. And I, there is a lot of value, I think, in making sure you have a game like this just so you don't catch yourself slipping later in the season. I mean, coming into this game, Penn State's three wins were 52-0, 33-14, Penn State was, I think, really... Like, if Penn State wanted to be feeling itself, they really could have been. Like, this was just a... This is the kind of game where you you're going into it and getting a wake-up call isn't the worst thing. Or getting something that can be perceived as a wake-up call isn't the worst thing. So when you're going there and the offense is looking a little bit sloppy at times and the defense playing out of its mind but makes a mistake or two uh, that leads to a couple of points. I mean, Iowa ran one play in Penn State's half in the first half. One play, maybe two plays. It, the play that I'm referring to went for a touchdown. Like, Penn State giving up seven points in the first half was kind of fluky. But it's something that ends up happening. It's something that you have to learn from, something you have to grow from. You know, there's a turnover. You have to be able to flip that switch. You have to be able to go out and play stellar defense right after that. And it didn't happen in that moment. And it's something that... As they're in team meetings and as they're watching film and as they're getting ready for Indiana and for Northwestern and for Michigan and Ohio State and every other team on the schedule, they can say, we made this mistake against Iowa. Iowa can now be the game they go back to and point to as, we need to be able to do this, 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 and this. And by even not doing one of those things, we're running the risk of losing a game. They won this one 21-19, largely because, Nick, they had Saquon Barkley, and Iowa did not. Who? Saquon Barkley, the best college football player since Reggie Bush. I am, I 100% believe this. I think when, and I wrote about this today on the site, I, 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 he's just amazing. He is incredible. He had 358 all-purpose yards, 28, yards, 28 carries for 211 yards and a touchdown on the ground. 12 receptions for 94 yards in the air. He returned three kickoffs for 53 yards. He is the Big Ten's leading receiver in both receptions and receiving yards. What he put forward against Iowa, this is the kind of game where you're in a fight and the singular goal is give the ball to your best player and hope he's able to make something happen. And Penn State's faith in Barkley was paid for. I, I, I haven't seen this comprehensive of a performance out of a running back in a big game in I don't even know how long. Nick, like what, what do you have to say about Barkley and what he did against Iowa and just that performance? There's not really a fair way to use human words to describe <laughs> what Saquon Barkley did against Iowa. 
it just the mastery of everything a football player needs to be able to do that he displayed on Saturday night, like you said, is unlike anything maybe that we have seen since Reggie Bush. There have been some really, really incredible college football players in that span. Just unbelievably talented players. But I don't know if anybody has the same sort of just dominant skill set and developed skill set in every single area that Barkley does. And there was nothing that he did not display against Iowa. He showed his hands out of the backfield. He showed his speed. He showed his power. He showed his agility. He showed his quickness. He showed his how quick his feet are in tight areas. He showed how hard he can hit the hole when the hole is there. He showed what he can do when there is no hole and he needs to improvise. He showed that he has a somehow has another gear that he's not already hitting normally that he can pull out when his team absolutely needs him to. There is nothing that he cannot do on a football field aside from maybe return a kick for a touchdown because he still doesn't look totally comfortable doing that, I would right. say. Looks looks more like a running back than a kick returner at this point. Right, but, right. I mean, by the end of the year, that'll probably be different. He'll probably be returning a kick every game. But what he, what he was able to do on that field is... I mean, I, I could go on and try to describe it, but it's indescribable. It's what he did was completely, completely unbelievable. And that's why you saw, you got Mike Trout is tweeting about him saying he's amazing. <laughs> like, there's Ezekiel Elliott is out there. Like, yeah, I mean, I. Every single person felt the need to weigh in and talk about how special he is because it takes half a second of watching him to realize that he is not normal. He yeah. is not anything that we, I, I, I know that there have been some really, really great players in Penn state's history. I did not have the pleasure of watching Kajana Carter play. I did not have the pleasure of watching Kurt Warner play. I did not have the pleasure of watching the 1994 team. I was three. So, you know, it didn't really work out with my schedule. I didn't. I didn't even really watch. I didn't even really watch Levar Arrington play. I that I I I didn't care about Penn State until 2010. So there have been some really great players in Penn State's history, and I know that there are other guys that people would argue to the end of time are the greatest players in that history. But I, I Saquon Barkley, he might be one of the best college football players ever when all is yeah. said and done. I yeah. think he has to be the best player in Penn State's history. And the thing with Barkley is that in addition to being a really great running back, which I mean, we have more than enough evidence to suggest this, he, like I mentioned, he is a great, great receiver. I, on, the, on the game, 12 catches for 94 yards. Yeah, a lot of checkdowns, a lot of dumping the ball off to him. Uh, but he's still out there making plays. On the season, he has caught 23 balls for 335 yards, which doesn't sound like a ton, but also we're four games into the season, and last year he caught 28 balls for 402 yards. I, like, yeah, I, I'm going to look up Kijana Carter uh, and his... 
receiving stats because my guess is that Saquon Barkley this season through four games is getting pretty close to what he did as a receiver. Uh, yes, Kijana Carter for his career as a receiver, 20 catches for 172 yards and no touchdowns. Very, very different game. But this is also a testament to the way that Penn State ha- is using a legitimately special football player. And my God, Saquon Barkley is special. I don't think he's going to have 18 touchdowns on the ground like he had last year. But I think that's also just because he's going to get the ball in a bunch of other different ways. And Penn State's going to spread the ball around and do all this other fun, cool, funky stuff. And what we saw against Iowa was an understanding and a willingness to just get him the ball. And like we mentioned a little bit earlier, Iowa's entire thing was, we're going. well, they really did two things on defense. One, we're going to stay back. And we're not going to let Penn State beat us with those deep balls that have made them so dangerous over the last year or two. But at the same time, they also wanted to make sure that whenever Barkley was doing anything, Josie Jewell was there. Jewell is the best He was so good. Incredible. He is the best linebacker in the Big Ten. And I completely understand why. Iowa's game plan was have Jewel try and focus his attention on Barkley. But the issue with that is there are going to be times like on that one run where Saquon juked Jewel and Jewel's there basically diving at the vapor that Saquon left as he juked and cut to the right before I believe it was his touchdown run. Like, he made him that, look that play, silly sometimes. That, that play yeah. wasn't a touchdown. It was, that it was, was a swing touchdown. pass, actually. All right, all right, yes, um, yes. Yeah, that was on the last drive. Oh, no, was... no, 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 no. I'm, I'm talking to the one earlier in the game where they hand the ball off to him up the middle, and he makes a miss. The swing pass was when he hurled Oh, I don't remember that one. Yeah, that was our, there were enough big plays that you're going to forget some of them. There was a hurdle earlier in the game. I mean, at the end of the game, yes, but there was also that juke. That hurdle was so impressive that Lolo goddamn Jones, an Olympian, a gold medalist in the hurdle, was tweeting like, what the hell is this? Like, this is amazing. Like, you should not be able to do stuff like this. Not only is he jumping over somebody, he is getting hit, landing on one foot, and just perfect. Like, this is the kind of game, and I'm interested to get your thoughts on this, Nick. At the end of the year... We're four weeks in. No one player, and we're going to talk Heisman Trophy for a second. I know Penn State likes to do the week-to-week thing. I want to think a little more long-term. No one player has really grabbed the Heisman race and, you know, taken it and really established themselves as the guy who's going to win it. I mean, Baker Mayfield's had some great games. Uh, Lamar Jackson has looked good. He's, He's struggled a bit, but he's also looked really good at times. Uh, Sam Darnold is good. Josh Rosen's has some good games. Whatever. There are a lot of good players. But I think that this is the kind of game that we can point to come season's end if no one has really broken away from the pack and said, did you watch that Iowa game? Because if you did, you were not giving the Heisman to anybody other than him. Yeah, I I wrote in 
something. I'm not sure where. But I wrote that when Saquon Barkley is a Heisman finalist and they're sitting there in New York City, when they play his highlight tape, it's going to have at least three plays from this game. And it will this, easily, in my opinion, it will easily be the most impressive highlight tape of anyone, which even if he doesn't yes. win, that's the more important thing that you do a bunch of cool stuff. Yeah. If he... Yeah, if, if he is to win the Heisman, they I, they always talk about what was his Heisman moment. This was his Heisman moment. And I don't – he could be do something even more incredible later in the year. I don't know. But it started here. This this is his Heisman moment for this year. I – yeah, I what, like what you said, nobody has really grabbed a hold of that Heisman – so on quote-unquote Heisman frontrunner spot aside from Barkley. He it, it's it's the second week now. He kind of grabbed it against. Um, I'd say after week one, he probably kind of had it too. He's been the one who has pretty definitively had these monster games that you can point to and say there's a Heisman winner. Lamar Jackson has been very good, and he is Lamar Jackson still probably. I would still probably say he's the most electrifying player in college football. I don't think that's yeah. his best. Yeah, I think yeah, Barkley I think is. I agree with that. Yeah, I think Barkley is better overall, it, and it's not – I mean, it's close, but it's not really that close, I don't think. But Lamar Jackson's still electrifying in every way, and he's still really, really good. Um, so he won't go away, but of course the problem with him is that he has to do – he has to have a better season than what he had last year in order to win the Heisman because that's just where the mindset will be. Uh, Sam Darnold was the front runner before the year. He's already thrown like seven picks. I think he's out. Rosen – is going to get dragged down by the fact that his team just isn't going to end up all that great by the end of the year. Like Mason Rudolph lost yesterday. Yeah, Rudolph I mean, lost. It, I, I, I mean, Bryce, may, may Bryce feel, Love and Rashad Penny are both great, but they're running backs on the West Coast. So, yeah, exactly. They'll they'll fall victim to the same ordeal that McCaffrey fell victim to. Yeah, uh, Mayfield has obviously been awesome, but Oklahoma also definitely feels like a team that's going to lose at least once, I would say. If you're going to get pushed like that by Baylor, that's not a great sign for your fortunes moving forward. So, I, it, it's, also, it's also, early. Also, real quick, I didn't realize this. Baker Mayfield has thrown the ball 101 times in four games. Like, yeah. I'm sorting uh, the nation by receptions, I mean, uh, by passing attempts. Baker Mayfield is uh, 65th nationally. Like, he just hasn't put the ball up a ton. And it's, I mean, he's been very effective when he has put the ball up, and he's put up some really silly numbers. But that does make me wonder a little bit later in the season what happens if, like, you know, a game comes along where he needs to just keep chucking it and keep chucking it. Like, what ends up happening in a game like that, not in a game where Oklahoma is kind of controlling things? I think the difference between Barkley and the rest of these guys, especially the quarterbacks, is that for Penn State, winning big and feeding Barkley coincide with each other perfectly. Okay. If you're a if you're a quarterback and your team is winning big, like Oklahoma or Louisville or UCLA or USC, whoever it is, whichever quarterback you're talking about, if your team's playing really well, you're not going to be throwing the ball the whole game. So the counting stats won't necessarily be there and as dumb as it may be, counting stats are a huge part of what voters look at when they vote for the Heisman. Whereas if you're a running back and your team's winning, you're getting fed even more. So your stats as a result are going to be really positively impacted in that way. So 
not to mention that James Franklin is so very clearly doing everything that he oh, can yeah. to get Saquon Barkley this high. And it, it's understandable. It benefits his program. It benefits his player. It benefits it benefits everything about Penn State football. I I think it's fair that I've heard, seen, a, seen a couple people saying things like, uh, Barkley may win this Heisman, but what's going to be left of him when all is said and done? He's he is getting a lot of work and a lot of touches, but at the same time, they've also been able to do, do a nice job of getting him rests here and there. Sanders has spelled him a few times, Robinson spelled him a few times, and they've both played really well. But I think that's what Barkley has to his advantage in this race is that when his team is playing at its best and blowing people out, he's still getting fed the ball, and when his team is in close games, he's going to get the ball. So. He's the best situation of where his team's success perfectly coincides with his candidacy for this race. Yeah, and I'm I'm actually interested in that because I haven't looked at uh, where he stacks up in terms of receptions, but in terms of running the football, he's 22nd nationally. I mean, there are a lot of running backs and, and some quarterbacks who are being tasked with running the ball more than he is. He has as many carries as Clemson quarterback Kelly Bryant. Like, I think, uh, I'm trying to look at this, but he's right there. Yeah, J.K. Dobbins has carried the ball more than he has this year. He has three more carries than him. So I, I, I don't necessarily think this is going to be one of those instances where, like, you know, he's, you know, a guy like Danelle Pumphrey last year is a good example where, He's getting 300, 350 carries in a season, and it's very obviously wearing him down. I mean, the the last guy to get fed that much and not show too many signs of it was Derrick Henry, and Derrick Henry is just a physical freak in nature. But I, I'm not too terribly concerned with that yet. But I do completely agree. The more that he is on the field, like he, he's going, they're going to try to get the ball into his hands any way that they can, and it's going to lead to, I think, more game, potentially more games like the one we he had against Iowa, 211 yards uh, on the ground, 94 through the air, or against Akron, he had 172 on the ground, 54 through the air. Even Georgia State, where he had 142 in the air and 47 on the ground, like he is, Penn State is finding the way that he is the most, uh, he is at his most dangerous and taking advantage of that, and it's been a sight to see. So, yeah, I, I, I think at the very least he's getting to New York. I would, I would like it a lot if he uh, wins the trophy. I think that would be something very cool, and he would deserve it because I, as one of the people in the media who has spoke to Saquon Barkley before, he is an angel. Yeah. Yes, a Heisman yeah. would be ideal. A Heisman yes. would be ideal. Yeah, so do you have any, uh, any final thoughts on this one, or do you think we could, uh, we could put a bow on it? I think we could put a bow on it, and I can go finish watching the Seahawks disappoint me. What's the score right now? 30-20, to 20, Tennessee. Ugh. Ah, at least there's more points now. But They're yeah. scoring touchdowns. They haven't done that yet. Ah, who? Uh, oh, yeah, I would suppose the Seahawks, because my guess is you haven't watched Tennessee all that much this year. Neither here nor there. Uh, yeah, so that's it. I was over. We put a bow on it. It is punt week, ladies and gentlemen, as the Indiana Hoosiers are the next team to come to Happy Valley. Uh We'll be covering that on the site all week long. I am sure we're going to do some stuff with our friends over at Crimson Quarry. Uh, but we'll figure that all out later. For now, thank you for listening to this edition of Horror Lions Radio. 
Uh, subscribe, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, Overcast. Uh, leave us a review on iTunes. We really appreciate that. Let us know how we can get better. Or just talk about how great we are. I mean, let's be honest. If you're not going to say good things about us, we're going to ignore you anyway, and you're going to be dead to us. So just say how great we are. Uh, give us five leave stars. Us a great, leave us a great ranking and then insult us anyway. That's fine. Exactly. Yeah, if you want to give us five stars and then just say mean things about us, that's fine. I will not look past the five stars. That is literally tell the us, only thing I Tell us about. that you can smell Bill through your headphones. That's fine. Oh, well, okay. <laughs> uh, follow us on Twitter at RLR blog. Like us on Facebook, Roar Lions Roar. Buy our shirts. They're very nice. You've heard me say this a bunch by now. And guess what? They have not stopped being really nice. You should get one. And yeah, I think that's it. One last time, thank you for listening to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. For my co-host, Nick Pollock, I am Bill DeFilippo. Take care, everyone. Dear Iowa, shh, love Juwan Johnson. <laughs>